you are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith for Locked On Seahawks. Glad to have you listening in to our Blue Friday show. If you're a new listener, glad to have you listening in. If you're a regular listener, glad to have you as always. This episode is brought your way by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code Locked On, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. We're only a week into the actual offseason. It's been a crazy week for the Seahawks, obviously, with all the news around Russell Wilson, but a lot of other teams are starting to get ready for free agency in the draft by releasing high-priced players. And maybe the most notable one that's been released thus far came early in the morning on Friday. The Texans part ways with J.J. Watt. He was due $17.5 million in 2021, three-time defending player of the year on defense. One of the best players that I've quite frankly seen along the defensive line During my lifetime, one of the best defensive tackle, defensive end hybrids that we've ever seen. And last season was not his best year. Five sacks, played all 16 games. That's a big deal when you consider the injuries he's dealt with in recent years. Of course, with him hitting the market, there's going to be a lot of speculation about which teams may be interested. And the Seahawks are being thrown around by a lot of people as a potential suitor. Now, if you look at the Seahawks salary cap situation right now, $4.9 $4.9 million estimated on overthecap.com. That is obviously not the space they need to be able to go out and sign a player like J.J. Watt. And they've got a lot of money invested on that defensive line already. Jaron Reed and Carlos Dunlap both have $14 million cap hits. They're going to have to do something with both of those players with their contracts. They can't afford to keep both of them at that price. And an argument can be made. They can't afford to keep either one of them at that price point. So, whether they explore trades or extensions, restructured contracts, all of those things are on the table to try to lower their cap hits. But you're definitely not going to be keeping those two players and then pursuing somebody like J.J. Watt that is still going to cost quite a bit to be able to sign on a short-term deal. He's 32 years old, but still thinks he has a lot of good football left in him. John Schneider, Pete Carroll, they never leave a stone unturned. I just think there's a lot of things that are going to have to fall into place, though for the Seahawks to really be able to pull this off and sign Watt. And first and foremost, I don't know how interested he's going to be in playing in Seattle. You look at some of the other options that he's got, the one that jumped out to me immediately, and his brother's already been tweeting about it on social media, Pittsburgh. The Steelers have a lot of salary cap issues they have to deal with. Ben Roethlisberger has said he's willing to restructure his contract to help with that situation, but they currently right now don't have the money to spend to bring J.J. Watt in, but certainly his brother's presence there, the two of them would love to play together. And then you've got the Tennessee Titans with Mike Vrabel, who used to be on the Houston Texans staff and coached J.J. Watt. So that right there is an ideal fit. And then, of course, the Green Bay Packers, they've got some cap issues of their own, but Watt started Wisconsin. Maybe he goes back to Wisconsin and joins a team that was one game away from getting back to the Super Bowl, and maybe he's that missing piece they need on defense to be able to finally get over the hump and get back to the big game. So those are just a couple teams. There's a bunch of others out there that would make sense. From the Seahawks' perspective, I do think they have a major need, the five-tech position, because LJ Collier improved a lot this year, but still not a Pro Bowl caliber player. Rasheem Green's entering the last year of his contract, had some injuries last season. He has not developed, I think, 
anywhere close to what the team envisioned. He did finish the 2020 season strong, but J.J. Watt playing that five-tech position would be a major upgrade, even if he's not the same player that he was, say, three or four years ago when he was consistently getting all-pro selections and was defensive player of the year. He's taking a step back, but he's still a really good football player. So he would be an upgrade to that spot. You can play him at the three-tech, and that might be where he's at his best at this point in his career. So from a need standpoint, maybe it makes sense to bring him in, but I think if they were to do that, you would have to get rid of Carlos Dunlap. With his cap hit at $14 million, there is no dead cap money on his contract. Jaron Reed, you would have to eat $5 million if you trade or cut Jaron Reed. You don't have to do that with Carlos Dunlap. You can have J.J. Watt come in, and then you're putting all your money into Daryl Taylor, Alton Robinson, maybe Benson Mayoa coming back on an affordable deal. Those would be your three guys that are going to be playing the Leo defensive end spot if you don't bring back Carlos Dunlap. Maybe there's a way you could have Dunlap and Watt on the same roster, but there's no way you could have those two and Jaron Reed when you consider all the other needs the Seahawks need to fill and the limited salary cap space that they have. They have options. Mentioned this on our Thursday show. They have options to be able to create space, but certainly when you consider Watt's injury history, that's where everything leads to here. I think that you could make a strong argument that if injuries are taken out of the equation, it makes sense to bring J.J. Watt in and add him to this defensive line. But then you consider the fact he's missed 34 games the last five seasons. He's had several significant injuries. These are not, oh, he missed a couple games here and there type ordeals. We're talking severe injuries that landed him on injured reserve. And so that is something that would make me hesitate a bit. And before the show, just kind of was getting the pulse of the 12s here. I did have a poll that I posted up. And big question here was, which player would you rather see as a Seahawk in 2021? And it was simply Dunlap versus J.J. Watt. And I expected Dunlap was going to win. Not this convincingly, though. Dunlap getting 73.6% of the 459 votes during the time the poll was open. J.J. Watt just 26.4%. And when you consider what Dunlap did for this football team after they traded for him, it makes a lot of sense. Obviously, he had five sacks in eight games to the team in the second half. Watt had five sacks in 16 games. So the entire season for the Houston Texans, obviously a much worse football team as far as skill and talent on defense, but did not have the production in that regard. He did have 17 quarterback hits, seven passes defensed, and he had 14 tackles for loss, the second most of any defensive lineman in the NFL. So Watt was still very good. He just didn't produce the sack numbers that we had seen from him earlier in his career. So that is something to watch here. I, again, do expect John Schneider and Pete Carroll, those guys are going to be making a run here to at least see what it's going to take, how much interest J.J. Watt may have. But I would be surprised for a number of different reasons if he ends up in a Seahawks uniform for 2021. Coming up next in the second quarter, we've got Valentine's Day weekend coming up. And so I'm going to be looking at my five biggest free agent crushes that the Seahawks should take a very close look at when the new league year opens on March 17th. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Are you looking for a way to boost your workout game? Are you seeking a delicious protein bar without the sugar and carbs? Enter in the Built Bar. I have it every morning before I work out. Bunch of delicious flavors, and they're unleashing perhaps the best flavor that they've ever had in coconut brownie chunk. If you loved cookie dough, that was one of my favorites. I have it regularly. This one is going to blow you away. You've got dark chocolate coconut, real brownie chunks. I have a really hard time only eating just one. 
It really doesn't get much better than that. And it's only 150 calories, seven grams of sugar, and 15 grams of protein. Again, I have these before I lift weights, before I go on a long distance run. It is my go-to protein choice, and they are delicious. This is a limited time flavor, so you're going to want to get on this and get yours today before it's gone tomorrow. Visit BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off of your order. This is Corbin Smith for Locked On Seahawks. Welcome back. We've got a jam-packed next couple of quarters here with Valentine's Day just around the corner here coming up on Sunday. Going to be looking at my five free agent crushes here in the next section. And then in the third quarter, we'll be going to the draft, my five draft crushes for the Seattle Seahawks heading into the 2021 offseason. We're covering everything you need to know about the Seahawks, but what about the rest of sports? Now the Locked On Podcast Network has you covered there as well with Locked On Today. It's hosted by the great Peter Bukowski, and it's all the sports news you need every morning in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to the Locked On Today podcast wherever you get podcasts. I would check out today's episode as well. Had an opportunity to be on the show today talking about Russell Wilson's situation in Seattle, so check it out. Let's talk free agent crushes here. We're almost to Valentine's Day, and this is one of my favorite shows to do each year because you get a real good chance to look at a bunch of different position groups, and I expect the Seahawks will be aggressive in free agency. I don't know if we'll see John Schneider change his approach to where he's going after Big Fish. That has not been the way that he's operated over the years. He's typically gone after mid-level, lower-tier free agents that are bargain shopping. And he did that last year, a bunch of different players that brought in on one-year deals. Maybe they'll stick with that this year, but I've made some arguments why they should change their strategy a little bit, especially after Russell Wilson's comments about wanting better pass protection. There's some really intriguing offensive linemen in this class. So looking at my five free agency crushes, I'm going to start with a player we've talked about a few times over the last couple of days, and I, I took some flack for it on social media. I understand that T.Y. Hilton is now going to be 32 years old here in the near future. He is not the same player that he was, say, three or four years ago. And I know a lot of Seahawks fans are hesitant to look at a player like that after what happened with Greg Olson this past season, not producing very much on the field and spending significant cap space on him. I look at this as a little different situation, though, with T.Y. Hilton. I still think there's a lot of good football left in him. He played 15 games last season. I think the injury narratives that are out there, or maybe a bit overblown. He certainly has had a lot of soft tissue injuries that have bothered him. He's been on the injury list a lot, but he has played in the vast majority of games during his career with the Indianapolis Colts, and he still had almost 800 receiving yards last year. Biggest reason that he is my free agent crush at the receiver position is probably cost, though. I think the fact that he is in his early 30s, and you look at some of the other receivers that are available in this class, you've got Allen Robinson that's out there. You've got Will Fuller, who played for the Texans. There are a number of other really good receivers, Kenny Galladay from the Lions, that are younger players than what T.Y. Hilton is. And, oh, remember, teams don't have money to spend this year. The salary cap is going to be hurting every team in the league. And so a player like T.Y. Hilton maybe ends up going back to the Colts, maybe Indianapolis brings him back on a couple-year deal. But if he hits the free agent market, I think he could be affordable because teams don't have money to spend, and there are a lot of other alternatives on the market. I like his ability to run routes out of the slot. And from the outside, he can create after the catch. And everybody knows the Seahawks need help in that regard. They've been near the bottom of the NFL 
in each of the past three seasons in that category. And so I think you put him with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and have Russell Wilson throwing to him. It shouldn't be the top priority. They've got to get the offensive line taken care of. But I think you can add a quality interior offensive lineman and go out and get a player like Hilton at a fairly decent price. I think they're going to have some options out there. Maybe Josh Reynolds ends up being that player. But this is a deep receiver free agent class. I don't know that Seattle's going to be able to get a hold of a stud receiver in the draft because they only have one pick in the first three rounds, only four picks total. Maybe they'll go that route instead. It is a deep class of the position. But I would take a close look at T.Y. Hilton if he's available. He's certainly a player I'd like to see. Uh, get paired with Russell Wilson in this offense. And then on the offensive line, I've talked about this player quite a bit too. There are a number of intriguing players in free agency. This is where I would buck my past trends if I'm John Schneider. You want to sign all these mid-level players to affordable deals. I'm breaking the bank a little bit. I'm opening up some cap space and I'm going to go get me Corey Lindsley because I don't see any way the Green Bay Packers are going to be bringing him back. Maybe they'll surprise me and they'll bring him back on a multi-year deal. But I think Lindsley hits the market in March, and this is a player that has been consistently one of the five best centers in football. Last year was his first All-Pro selection, but he could have earned All-Pro honors in earlier seasons. So this is not a flash-in-the-pan type ordeal. And the pivot position, the center spot, is, in my opinion, the third most important position on offense. Obviously, quarterback and left tackle are your, are your big-money positions, but center is incredibly important because they make the line calls communication is critical. You have a quality center, a top tier center. It is going to improve the entire rest of your offensive line by default because of those communication skills. So I would go out and I'd be very aggressive trying to get Corey Lindsley, who is going to be a major upgrade over Ethan Posick. So go into attack mode. Instead of signing a bunch of guys to mid-level contracts, one-year deals, go sign a true difference maker. To me, Corey Lindsley can be that guy in the middle, and you're going to make your quarterback, Russell Wilson, very happy in the process. One other offensive player that I would like to see the Seahawks consider adding, you've got Shane Waldron now as your new offensive coordinator. Gerald Everett was with him the last four years. So these two know each other very well. Jacob Hollister's a free agent. Greg Olson retired. You lost Stephon Sullivan to the Panthers because he didn't re-sign him after coming off the practice squad. So their depth at tight end is not near what it was this time last year. They have a couple players they really like, like Tyler Mabry, that may be able to jump up the depth chart here and play some in 2021. But they could use another veteran, and having a guy that will know this system, the new stuff they're going to be adding offensively that may come from the Rams system. I don't know how many of those wrinkles we're going to see. That remains to be seen. But Having a tight end like Everett that has improved as a blocker every year he's been in the league, he can be a move tight end. They can go out in the slot and make plays. He's had reliable hands this year for whatever reason. He had seven drop passes, but he had none in the previous two seasons. And so he's typically had soft hands. He's been a reliable target. You can run him down the seam some. He can make tough catches in the middle. So I think you pair him with Will Disley and Colby Parkinson. You've got three guys with different skill sets that all still can block in line. They can move around some to varying degrees, and they can all catch the football. And they're going to be running a lot of 12 personnel. I think they would be really smart to bring in a tight end that knows Waldron's system, some of the things they're going to be incorporating into Seattle's new offense. On the defensive side of the football, I don't know if the Seahawks really are going to spend much money in free agency on defense because you've got Jamal Adams that needs an extension. K.J. Wright might be brought back. We'll see how that plays out. And they've got to figure out what they're going to do with Jaron Reed as well as Carlos Dunlap. So they've got a lot of their pieces under contract. I'm not sure that they're going to be very aggressive on that side of the football, but there are two names that jump out to me that would at least be worth – 
uh, taking a look at. Now, I typically don't like flash-in-the-pan type guys like Trey Hendrickson for the New Orleans Saints. And what I mean by that is he came out of nowhere last year with 14 sacks. The year before, I believe he had only three and a half or four sacks. He had never produced more than that in his career. He was a third-round pick four years ago. So he is a guy that has gradually earned more playing time in New Orleans. But the Saints are absolutely in salary cap hell. And so I don't see any way they're going to be bringing him back. There may be teams, especially this year with the cap situation, that are scared to invest too much in Trey Hendrickson because he only has had one really great season. But at 270 pounds, he's a guy that I think could play both end spots for the Seahawks. And you know he can rush the passer. He proved it last season. I think he's a guy that is going to continue to show up in that capacity because he showed flashes in 2019 playing in a reserve role. I think he's a guy that is going to continue to ascend as a pass rusher. I think it would make a lot of sense to look at him. He's probably going to be too expensive for Seattle's needs. But again, this is going to be a weird free agency period given the cap situation. Teams are trying to cut money right now. A guy like that could end up being affordable enough that he's worth taking a look at. And then in the secondary, the Seahawks have Shaquille Griffin hitting free agency. So is Quentin Dunbar. Aquila Witherspoon coming out of Colorado a few years back was one of my favorite prospects. I really wanted the Seahawks to take a close look at him because he's tall. He's lengthy. He's athletic. He's got decent ball skills. He didn't have a lot of interceptions at Colorado, but he had 19 passes defensed his final season with the Buffalo. So I thought he would be perfect playing outside corner in Pete Carroll's system. Things just didn't work out in San Francisco. He was solid as a rookie, and then the next two years he battled injuries. He was benched a couple of different times, inconsistent performance. DK Metcalf owned him in that final game in the regular season a couple years back. The 49ers won, but really a struggle there for most of his time in San Francisco. He did have a solid bounce-back season last year when they played him, had an 80 grade on pro football focus for coverage, gave up 16 receptions. Yards per reception went down to 9.3 yards per catch so you saw improvements from him passer rating against him went down almost 25 points compared to the previous season I still think he's going to be 26 years old soon I still think there's a lot of upside to this kid and he's going to be significantly cheaper than if you try to bring back Shaquille Griffin I think that he being a younger player probably has more upside than what Quentin Dunbar has at this point so that might be a player worth taking a look at, keep him in the NFC West, let Pete Carroll and his staff have a chance to coach him up. Still might be a player that can end up being a very solid NFL corner at an affordable price. Coming up next in the third quarter, I'm going to switch gears to the draft. We're going to move away from free agency. Five draft crushes for me, a couple offensive players, a couple of defensive players that I think would make a lot of sense for the Seahawks to target in April's draft. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and NHL are in full swing. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props on almost everything you can imagine. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first just use the promo code locked on bet online your online sportsbook experts and we're back here on locked on seahawks i'm your host corbin smith getting ready to look at my five draft crushes here heading into valentine's weekend 2020 is mercifully over it's time for a fresh start and a few more wins if you're betting this year and want more wins listen to the locked on bets podcast with your boy Q and Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports. 
They are picking college basketball, football, and NBA locks all winter long. Subscribe to Locked On Bets wherever you get your podcast. Last quarter, I was looking at my five free agency crushes, players on the free agent market that I would like to see the Seahawks take a close look at once the new league year opens in March. Let's get to the draft now. Five draft crushes for me. A few of these players I've already talked about on earlier podcasts, but I'm going to dive in a little bit more here for this segment. Everybody knows the Seahawks have two big free agents at the running back position that they have to make decisions on. Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde, both set to hit the market. This is a running back class that I think is good, but not great. There's certainly some players that intrigue me. I, I think Travis Etienne out of Clemson is a player. If he's somehow available late in the second round, could make sense for Seattle. A few other running backs that I really like in this class, but you're not going to be getting Harris from Alabama. You're not going to be getting players like that. And so I'm looking more at players that might be available on day three because that's where the Seahawks have most of their four selections. They've got three picks on day three. Kylan Hill out of Mississippi State is a player that I've been intrigued by for a couple of years. I actually thought he was going to go to the draft after the 2019 season, and he opted to go back to school. He ran for over 1,300 yards for the Bulldogs that season. But this past year had some injuries. Obviously, COVID ended up opting out middle of the season to start preparing for the draft. It was just such a weird year of college football and just sports in general. But what I like about this kid, 5'11", around 210 pounds. So he's got the build the Seahawks typically prefer at the running back position. Short, kind of stocky. He's got some elusiveness to him. Not going to be a guy that bulls over tacklers very often. That's not really his game. But He's got what I love to see out of running backs in Seattle system. He's got what I call pinball action. This guy just bounces off defenders. He's got a lot of elusiveness and slipperiness to go with it. And he's got good hands out of the backfield, over 60 receptions in his career at Mississippi State. So he is an every down back for today's modern NFL. He's a player, if he slips into day three, I think the Seahawks absolutely should be taking a look at. I'd like to see him coupled with Rashad Penny and DJ Dallas at that point. You wouldn't need any of those veterans that they've got set to hit the market. I'm still skeptical that we may see Chris Carson or Carlos Hyde back just because the Seahawks have other things they need to address with their limited cap space. Maybe they'll bring one of those players back. Maybe Carson comes back on a one-year deal. We'll see. But Kylan Hill is one of the most intriguing running backs in this class that I think would fit Seattle's system well. As far as the receiver position, I mentioned T.Y. Hilton. Last segment, if they're going to look for a young receiver, there are a number of players that intrigue me that could be available on day three. I've talked a bunch about Cade Johnson out of South Dakota State, a small school prospect. But the other one that I'm really high on that I think would be a perfect complement for DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett is Frank Darby out of Arizona State. Now, there are some flags here. This is why I think he has a chance to be available day three wasn't overly productive for most of his career at Arizona State. He did have a couple first-round picks in Nikhil Harry and Brandon Ayuk in front of him on the depth chart at ASU. And so you can maybe defend him a little bit there. He was not their top target for most of the time he was in Arizona State, but did have a big season in 2019, averaged over 20 yards per reception that year. This is a guy that can create big plays, not the most explosive athlete speed-wise. So that's maybe my biggest concern coming into the league. Is he going to be able to translate that success of winning deep to the National Football League? But he's a very crafty route runner. He knows how to create separation with his route running. And so he may be able to do that. I don't know if he's going to have the same success as a vertical threat, but what I love most about him in Seattle system, he's tough. This is a kid that plays with a lot of grit. 
He's going to go into the middle of the field with no fear. He makes tough catches. He actually is at his best in contested catch situations, whether it's on vertical throws downfield or in the middle with defenders bearing down on him like missiles. This kid is tough. He will make contested catches. He can create after the catch with a surprising power and some wiggle after the catch. Seattle needs that anywhere they can find it. So Frank Darby is a player fourth round and on. He might go on day two because he had a good senior bowl. We'll have to wait and see, but this is a deep receiver class. So I think that he's got a really good chance to be available for the Seahawks on day three. And he would be a player that I think can come in right away and he can give the Seahawks a lift, especially if they're going to be doing more quick hitting stuff. He's a player Arizona state like to get the ball to just get in his hands and let him make some plays. He's got a chance to do that in the NFL level. Seattle needs a player like that and he'd be under club control for four years. That'd be a really nice addition without breaking the bank that I think could make an impact immediately up front of the offensive line. I'm going to go to the player. I can't believe I'm talking about this guy because if you would have asked me two years ago about the Seahawks having any chance to get Walker little out of Stanford, I would have told you you're crazy because I thought he was going to be a top 10 pick a few years ago, but you consider what's happened to his draft stock the last couple of seasons. He missed most of the 2019 season with an injury. Didn't play at all in 2020 because he opted out for COVID. So it's been almost a couple of years since this guy was on a field and played in a game. But at one point, he was one of the best tackle prospects in college football. And I still think he can be a really special player at the NFL level. Maybe he's a guy that because he hasn't played the last two years that you need to groom for a year. But I could see Walker Little being available at the end of the second round, potentially, because there are a lot of really good tackles in this class. He could be somebody that falls to Seattle and they benefit that can be the heir apparent to Dwayne Brown. And maybe you can find a way to use him early, but you can develop this kid and he's not going to have a first round tag to him. I like his athleticism. This is a guy that really moves well. Second level blocking is as good as any tackle in this draft class. I think he's well-suited to run zone schemes. If they're going to run more outside zone, that's a perfect fit for Walker Little. Not necessarily a guy that's going to maul people, not the most intimidating tackle in terms of run blocking, but he improved in that area. I think he's got room to get stronger. This would be a guy I would love to see in a Seahawks uniform that maybe can play early right away, but if not, you have your future left tackle in Walker Little. And then on defense, a couple guys that I want to talk about real quick again I don't know how much the Seahawks are going to be investing on defense just because they've made some big trades. They used a lot of draft picks on defense the last couple of years, but I think they could look for another defensive lineman in particular, maybe another five tech that can play the end spot. And I think that they're going to be looking at corner and safety pretty close, most specifically the corner spot. They need a young guy they can develop at that position. So two names that jump out to me, Tron Jackson from Coastal Carolina is going to be a player that I believe is available on day three. He might not go until the fifth, sixth, maybe even seventh round. He's kind of been one of those players that has been on a pretty wide spectrum in terms of where a lot of draft analysts think he's going to go. But every time I've seen Coastal Carolina, I watched him four or five times this year. He just he looked like he didn't belong on the field with the rest of the players out there. He was that kind of talent. He looked like an SEC player playing at Coastal Carolina. Six, two and a half, 260 pounds. He plays bigger than that. This guy is just a brick house. He's really strong. He can overpower blockers at the point of attack. I think he'll be able to do that some at the NFL level. Biggest thing he needs to do is develop counter moves. So whoever drafts him, if Seattle does, Clint Hurt and his staff have to be able to work with him on refining a few counters to go off that power. He's not going to beat you with speed as an upfield rusher very often, but he is a guy that can win with power, a consistent 
uh, pass rushing producer at Coastal Carolina, a bunch of sacks the last couple of years, a player that I think is hovering under the radar that would look really nice at that base defensive end spot for the Seahawks. And then at corner, there are a number of players I thought about at this position because this is actually a really good class if you like tall, athletic, lengthy corners like the Seahawks tend to covet. This class has got a bunch of them. Not a lot of players with great ball skills necessarily, but I am intrigued by Benjamin St. Juice, who had a really good week in Mobile, and he held up well against some of the top receivers and one-on-ones, had a really good game on Saturday in their All-Star Showcase. So he's a player that I think improved his stock quite a bit, maybe enough to get into day two. I still have him down as an early day three candidate for April's draft. 6'3", 200 pounds, long arms. What I was most impressed with about him is willingness to come up and hit people. He is physical at the line of scrimmage, so he can play that press coverage corner role. He's going to need to learn the kick step technique, but rookies typically have done better in Seattle system learning that than when they've traded for players like Quentin Dunbar. They've signed free agents, so there should be plenty of confidence they can bring a kid like this in and they can coach him up the technique that they want them to use. Had a bunch of passes defense, but no interceptions, so There's maybe some reservations about his ball skills, but you could see his ability to get his hand on the football in Mobile. I think this is a kid that as he continues to gain experience, he really only had three seasons in college because he transferred from Michigan to Minnesota. He's still a pretty raw player. I think he's got the potential to be a player that becomes an interception machine because he seems to be in the right place at the right time. He gets his hands on the football. A little quicker break, I think we can see this kid start to figure things out in that regard. So he's a clean tackler. I like what I see with his sticky coverage. He would be a player on day three that I would love to see the Seahawks take a really close look at. Maybe they bring back Dunbar or they bring in a player like Witherspoon. Still got Trey Flowers and DJ Reed there. You can bring this kid along and you don't have to put him in the starting lineup day one, but maybe at some point in his rookie season, he finds his way onto the field. He can play special teams as well. So he would be the corner in day three that would intrigue me the most as far as fit with the Seahawks. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already. You can do so on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever your podcast platform. Make sure to go to our website, LockedOnSeahawks.com. You can subscribe at any of those platforms from our site directly. Coming up on Monday, Rob Rang will be back with me. It'll be our Monday mock draft segment. We're going to have some kind of scenario for you guys to do. Last week, we said you couldn't trade out of any of Seattle's native positions. We'll have some kind of requirement for your mock draft, but we will be putting that up, and you'll have the opportunity to submit your draft. We'll read through a few of them on Monday's show. Enjoy Valentine's weekend. Go Hawks!